Well, good morning to everyone up in Quakertown. Uh, miss you guys, but here's what's going to happen. Uh, I can't wait to join you up, up uh, in Quakertown for after our second service, which is after this time. We're going to be having our baptism celebration. So if you haven't checked out in the gym uh, up there, uh, go check it out. We have balloons. We're going to be celebrating. we got snacks. we got cookies. we got noisemakers. And we're just going to be celebrating what God's doing in the lives of those getting baptized. So I'm going to preach, and I'm going to hop in the car and head up to you shortly. And uh, for those of you who are listening to me just talk to Quakertown, you kind of just probably thinking to yourself, uh, he just told us they're having a party next week. Uh, they're having like a taco bar party and they're celebrating and they're having a party today also. Uh, I mean, do they only party in Quakertown? Uh, and here's the reality, you know, you just need to understand. Yes, that is absolutely true. Because we're excited about what God's doing and we take celebrating seriously, so we want to celebrate and give God credit for all he's doing. But before we do that, we need to take a look into the Bible and continue in our series that we're talking about that we are calling Prequel. And a prequel gives us the backstory to a story that we're familiar with. And so what we're looking at is the backstory, the accounts, the historical facts, the different stories that lead up to the familiar story that we have in Jesus, the good news of Jesus, the gospel. And what we've done is we've taken a look at the book of Judges. And Judges is kind of an interesting book. If you've been here for a little bit and you're kind of paying attention, you're kind of like, this is a weird book. There's a lot of awkward moments. You're like, oh, that was weird. That kind of rubs me the wrong way. And what we've said in this series is that Judges is filled, it's filled with dysfunctional people doing despicable things. And today we're going to be looking at a character who actually fits that description very, very perfectly. But what we've seen in Judges is we put this picture up every week and then we're seeing that this is a pattern. The stories keep happening again and again the same way. We see that there is rebellion, that the people turn away from God, they turn away from God, and, and then God gives them over to their enemies and they go into this life of oppression. They kind of turn back to God and there is some repentance going on and then God rescues them by sending a judge, by sending a rescuer. But it, it keeps happening. It's like a bad marathon of the Fast and the Furious. It, it's kind of like Rocky, right? You watch Rocky, it's the same story in every movie. It's the same story, and what, yet we love it because we watch even Creed, which is one, probably my favorite one. It's the same exact story, right? Except for Rocky V, but I don't acknowledge that that one actually exists. But it's the same thing happening over and over again. Just the settings change or the people change. It's the same thing. And as we're reading Judges, we're kind of like, are they going to ever get it? Like, are, 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 what is going on? And yet we do the same thing in our lives if we were honest with ourselves. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to the book of Judges. Judges is a book found at the beginning of the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there are different ways you can follow along. You can read the verses on the screens up front, or you can take out your phone or your tablet, go to the Bible app or the Bible Gateway app. Both are great apps for reading the Bible. Uh, we also have Bibles in Sowerton in the seat racks in front of you, so you can grab that Bible. In Quakertown, we have them in carts in the back of the room. Uh, if you didn't grab it on your way in, just raise your hand, and Usher will bring you a Bible. And whether you're in Quakertown or in Sowerton, if you don't own a Bible, take it home. It's our gift to you. It's free. We believe that reading the Bible has the potential to impact your life, and so we want everyone to have one. If you've never read one, give us a call. We'd love to help you walk through reading the Bible together. But we're going to be reading from Judges chapter 10. 
Judges chapter 10. Starting at verse 6. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Even the writers kind of getting to the point, I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. I'm just the messenger. Again, 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 the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They served the Baals and the Ashtoreths and the gods of Aram, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. And because the Israelites forsook the Lord <coughs> and, and no longer served him, he became angry with them. He sold them into the hands of the Philistines and the Ammonites, who that year shattered and crushed them. For 18 years they oppressed all the Israelites on the east side of the Jordan in Gilead, the land of the Amorites. The Ammonites also crossed the Jordan to fight against Judah, Benjamin, and Ephraim. Israel was in great distress. And then here we go with the cycle, okay? So they rejected God, they rebelled, and then they were gone into oppression. Then here's their repentance. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord, We have sinned against you, forsaking our God and serving the Baals. The Lord replied, When the Egyptians, the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, the Sidonians, the Amalekites, and the Maonites oppressed you, and you cried to me for help, did I not save you from their hands? It's like, we've been here before. We've been here before. This keeps happening. But you have forsaken me and served other gods, so I will no longer save you. Go and cry out to the gods you have chosen. Let them save you when you are in trouble. But the Israelites said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do with us whatever you think best, but please rescue us now. Then they got rid of the foreign gods among them and served the Lord, and he could bear Israel's misery no longer. So we have that cycle again. That cycle that just is, it's, it's repeated over and over again. And then we get this interesting glimpse into God's heart. You know, sometimes we make this mistake that we just kind of look at God as this entity, as this, this just being separate from us. But there are some very real feelings that God has, and there's some very real hurt and pain when we rebel and reject God. And we get a glimpse of that in his response. He's like, go talk to the people you picked. Go talk to those gods you picked. Let them save you. But what hurts God even more is watching his people, the ones he loved, suffering in misery. And so God's heart breaks, and he sends a rescuer. He sends a judge, and he sends Jephthah. And Jephthah is a really interesting character. Jephthah lives this life with highs and lows. There are times in Jephthah's life where there's just these pinnacles, these really high highs. And then there's these times in his life with these these lows, these crashing lows. And through those highs and lows, Jephthah's character kind of morphs in it, and he kind of takes on these different roles throughout the story through those highs and lows. And the first thing that we need to understand is that Jephthah enters the story as an outcast. He enters the story as an outcast. Let's take a look at Judges 11, verses 1 to 3. Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife, also bore him sons, and when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah away. You are not going to get any inheritance in our family, they said, because you are the son of another woman. 
So Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a gang of scoundrels gathered around him and followed him. We've seen kind of this, this theme before. When we, Charles was teaching and he was talking about people like Deborah or Ehud, we see these people who are born into this status that is looked down upon in their culture, that they have this, this mark against them. And God calls those people. And Jephthah is like the pinnacle of an example of that. He, he's this outcast. And there's many layers to him being an outcast. And that outcast begins with who his mother is. And we kind of understand the thought. We don't agree with the thought. We've seen people act in ways like this before, but we don't fully actually understand what's going on. When we get the description of Jephthah's mother, what we read in that, what we see in that is one thing, but there's actually something deeper there. When, when you read in other translations, instead of it saying that the brothers kick out Jephthah and say, you are the son of another woman, they are many translations that say, you are the son of a strange woman. They're not calling his mom weird. What they're saying is, is that his mom is an outsider. Most commentators would agree that because of her role, and who did that role and who did not, that Jephthah's mother was more likely a Gentile, someone who was not part of the people of Israel. In fact, there's a good chance that what she did was part of the worship of the false gods. Jephthah, his mother, is an outsider, and that label is transferred to him. And he takes on the role of outcast. And he's literally cast out of his family. He is kicked out. They're saying, you have no place in this inheritance. And so he is sent away from his home, and he lands up on the streets where there's a bunch of scoundrels, hooligans, no goods. And he becomes their leader. He's a gang lord. He's the outcast of outcasts. He's the leader of the troublemakers. And so he's looked down on because of things that he couldn't control in who his mother was and who his, his birth, what, the circumstances around that. And then there are things that he controlled in that he was running with the wrong crowd. And he was causing problems. And all of that created this picture of an outcast, and he's at the low point in his life. But things change. Things change. And Jephthah moves from a low to a high, and what happens is, is that the people, the people who agreed with his brothers, the people who said, yeah, you're doing the right thing, who gave their blessing, the same people who kicked him out, who literally cast him out from their society, those same people are being oppressed. And they need someone to fight for them. And they come to Jephthah and they say, we choose you. <laughs> Jephthah moves from outcast to the one chosen. He moves from outcast to the one chosen. And they go to Jephthah and they're like, we choose you. And not only do we choose you to lead us into battle, but if you are victorious, we choose you to rule over all of us. And Jephthah's like, well, what is going on here? Don't you all hate me? I'm pretty certain you all hate me. 
And he reveals some of the hurt of being this outcast. He reveals some of, of what's going on from the pain that has been caused him. He's like, you all hate me. Didn't you kick me out from my father's inheritance? And they're like, no, no, we choose you. And so he's like, all right, so let me get this straight. If God gives me the victory, I'm, I'm in charge of everyone. I'm in charge of all of you. And they make a vow before God. And so Jephthah agrees. And he sends a message to the Ammonite king. And this is the gist of the message. I mean, it's going to sound different than the way you read it in the Bible, but this is probably the New Yorker version, okay? So here we go. Jephthah sends this message to the Ammonite king, and he goes like this, Yo, what's your problem? Ammonite king responds, and he says, You all took something of mine. I want it back. Give it back to me. So Jephthah's like, No, 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 no. You are sadly mistaken. Let me correct you on that. What you say that we took from you was actually never yours. It was someone else's. And they started it. They attacked us. And God gave them into our hands. And then he does something really interesting. He says, would you not accept what your God, Chemosh, gives to you? And here's the interesting part. Chemosh is actually not the God of the Ammonites. He's not the false God that they worship. They worshiped a different God. So I don't know if Jephthah knew this and he was kind of like just trying to stir the fire or if he didn't know. I don't don't know. But what he's basically saying is, this is not about you and I. This is a God thing. Whichever God's real, that's who's going to win. And he throws down the gauntlet and he was like, all right, this is between Chemosh and our God. And so he makes this something on a different level. And he tells the Ammonite king, back up off us, stop trying to fight with us, because ultimately God's in charge and this is his fight and he's going to be victorious. And so the Ammonite king totally blows off Jephthah, totally does, just ignores him completely, does not even give him, does not dignify that with a response. And so Jephthah gets ready for battle. And he's at a high point right now. You know, he, he's going to be going into battle, and he's the chosen one, and, and he's, you know, he's now leading all of these people into battle, and he's a, going to be this war hero, and he's confident, you know, he's confident in God. He has faith in God. He said, if God gives me the victory, he knew that this was God's fight. He throws down the gauntlet to the Ammonite king. He knows that this is God, that God is in charge. He's at a high point. Then he does something that brings him back to a low point. See, Jephthah was the outcast at the beginning of the story. He moves into the role of being chosen. And then he does something that he didn't need to do. He takes on the role of negotiator. He tries to make a deal with God. He tries to bargain with God. And and the crazy part is, is that he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to make this deal with God. What he was doing was he was adding unnecessary requirements to God's deliverance. And so listen to what he does here. Judges chapter 11, verse 29. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah. He crossed Gilead and Manasseh, passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from there he advanced against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. If you give the Ammonites into my hands, 
Whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. He didn't have to do that. God was with him. It says that the Spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah. That's not like his spirituality came to this new level. It's not like he now was raised to level 10 or anything like that. It was that God was with him, that God was with him in this endeavor. Jephthah should have stopped with his argument, his closing argument to the Ammonite king. He should have stopped when he said, this is God's battle. Because if Jephthah really believed that, then there was no more to do. He just needed to fall in line with what God was doing. But he doesn't. He makes this negotiation with God. He, he makes this deal with God. God, if you do this, I'll do that. Doesn't that sound familiar? I don't know about you, but I do that sometimes. I'm like, God, you do this, and I'll do that. If you do this, then I'll do that. Whatever it is. God, if you do this, then I'll, I'll, I'll make sure I'm reading my Bible more, or I'll make sure that I'm saying the right things, or treating people right, or giving, or whatever it is. If you do this, I'll do that. And sometimes it's not even something that I'm consciously thinking. It's actually more the reverse. It's something that I kind of inherently think is my right. My God, I've been doing this. Why aren't you doing that? God, I've been living this way. Why aren't you doing that? We had a deal here. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. This is the negotiation. This is the deal, right? This is what we're supposed to be doing. God's not interested in our negotiations. He's interested in us. And the reality is, is that when people look at this vow, and, they, and, and if you've never read this story, that's okay. A lot of people haven't read this story before, but some people who've read this story kind of look at it, and they go to the end of the story, and they're like, oh, that was really dumb of Jephthah. That was really dumb. He should have made a different kind of vow. He should have been smarter with what he promised to God. He should have done something a little bit wiser. He shouldn't have been so foolish. He shouldn't have been so rash. The problem wasn't that Jephthah made a foolish vow. The problem wasn't that he should have done a more conservative vow or he should have done something just a little bit better. The problem was that it was a manipulative vow. In him making this vow, he was trying to manipulate God. You see, he was taking control of the situation. He's like, here's the deal. You do this and I'll do that. As if God was a bank that needed collateral. God's not interested in our deals. He's interested in us, no strings attached. And so he makes this vow, he, he makes this, this manipulative vow, and what happens? Well, God gives him the victory. Jephthah is victorious. And he's at this pinnacle, right? He's at the highest of highs. He is victorious. He just, he just defeated the Ammonites. He's looked at as the rescuer. They're all like, Jephthah, Jephthah. It's great. He got the Super Bowl MVP. It's wonderful. He's just, you know, everything's going great for Jephthah. And so he's coming back, and not only is he victorious, he is now, he's a leader of everyone. And what should have been the ultimate high becomes a tragic and gut-wrenching low. Verse 34 of Judges chapter 11. 
when Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter? Dancing to the sound of timbrels, she was an only child. Except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and cried, Oh no, my daughter, you have brought me down and I am devastated. I have made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. Jephthah, through all of his highs and lows, ends at a crashing low. He starts out as an outcast. He moves to being chosen. He takes on this role of a negotiator. And through those highs and lows, he finds himself in the role of a debtor. He finds himself in debt to God in this overwhelming and crushing debt because of his mistakes. And the, the worst part is that God didn't ask for this. In fact, if, if Jephthah would have been aware of the law of, of the Torah, he would have known that God forbade this human sacrifice. This wasn't part of the worship of God. This was, you know what this was? This was actually the part of the worship of the gods of the Ammonites, of the false gods, of the enemies around them. They were the ones who expected human sacrifice. That was part of that worship. Jephthah actually perverts and pollutes the worship of God. By making this request. Now there's some debate as to whether Jephthah actually physically sacrificed his daughter or not. And the reason there's debate is because there are a lot of scholars that point to that, that this was actually something that was not good with the law, that there was actually ways that God had put in the law to provide for a substitution, for, for this to be, be changed. And so some people say that Jephthah actually didn't physically sacrifice his daughter. What he did was he gave her up to a life of service, that she would never marry, that she would live her life completely belonging to God. And then others are saying, no, the Bible says what it says here, and there are historians uh, that are Jewish historians from, from which we have old ancient texts, and they point out that Jephthah did do the sacrifice. And so we go back and forth, and we really don't know the answer. We can only go by what the Bible says. But the point is, is that because of Jephthah's vow, he now was in an overwhelming debt, a crushing debt. And the only way that that debt would be satisfied was through the life of someone innocent. Through the life of someone innocent. We ourselves find ourselves in the role of debtor. We find ourselves with a debt that we cannot pay back and the only way it can be satisfied, the only way it was, was through the innocent life of Jesus. So Jephthah goes through this, and, and I love the response of the daughter. I love the response of the daughter. Listen to what she says in verse 36. My father, she replied, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me just as you promised. Now that the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the Ammonites, but grant me this one request, she said. Give me two months to roam the hills and weep with my friends 
because I will never marry. Jephthah's daughter willingly submitted. Jephthah's daughter was a willing sacrifice. It wasn't something done lightly. It wasn't something like, oh, this was a flippant act of willingness. She goes off for two months to weep the results of what is about to happen. She goes off to mourn her life being lost. It is not a light task that she takes. There is deep, deep consequences. There's, she understands the gravity of what's happening. And yet she willingly gives her life to satisfy the debt of another. So we come to the end of Jephthah's story, really, and there's kind of like a post-credit scene after that, you know, kind of like the Black Panther or any of the other Marvel scenes. There's a post-credit scene that we'll, we'll talk about in a second, but it's kind of like a depressing story, right? Like, it's, it's tragic. It's kind of messed up. You, know, you kind of feel that, you read that, and you're like, I'm not sure where that's in the Bible. That's kind of weird. In fact, you know, when Charles told me that I was going to preach on this, this is what he did. He goes, hey, I'm going to have you preach on Jephthah. <laughs> <laughs> What's that about? It, it kind of rubs you the wrong way, right? You look at Jephthah's story, and, and if you keep going forward, he, he doesn't really get it. Like Jephthah then goes and he kills the people of Ephraim. He kills his own Israelite brothers. He kills, he kills his own people. In this brutal massacre. And he only rules over Israel for six years. It's actually a very short time compared to the other judges. And we kind of look at that and we look at, at, at Jephthah and we're like, man, Jephthah was a bad dude. What's up with that? And we look at all the things in his, in his life and all the circumstances and we're like, yeah, I could deal without Jephthah. But you know what? Through all of his highs and his lows, we kind of look at Jephthah in that way, but you know what? That's not how God looked at him. You know, God's grace redeemed Jephthah. In fact, Jephthah is celebrated. Not because of his highs and lows, not because of his actions, but because he is God's. You're like, how do you know that? Well, let's go to the beginning of the chapter. How is he introduced? You're like, well, he was introduced as an outcast. He was, yes. Well, what is the very first thing that you learn about Jephthah? Jephthah, what you need to remember right up front is that Jephthah was a mighty warrior. And you're like, well, that's kind of stretching it, Carlos. You're like, hmm, that's stretching it. Yeah, you're right, if we didn't have anything else. If you look at 1 Samuel chapter 12, Samuel has his farewell speech, and he begins to talk about the different deliverers of, of Israel, and he talks about all of these heroes. And he doesn't do a ton. He does a select few. He could have picked Samson. He could have picked different people. He picks Jephthah. He picks Jephthah. Not only that, in Hebrews chapter 11, there's kind of this list, this, this hall of fame list of, of all these people with, with great faith. Jephthah's in that list. Not because of his highs and lows, but because some, simply he is God's. And God's grace covers the highs 
and it covers the lows. I don't know where you're at in your story. I don't know if you're at a high point or a low point. The reality is, is this. God's grace is sufficient and it's enough. And there are four things I want to quickly just, just tell you out of Jephthah's story that I think that we should know. There's four things that we should pay attention to. The four things as we look from Jephthah's role as being an outcast to being chosen, to being a negotiator, to being a debtor, there's four things I want you to know. The first is this. God often lifts up those we put down. God often lifts up those we put down. Jephthah is an outcast at the beginning of the story. If you look at the Bible over and over again, God calls all of these rejected people, and he uses them in great ways. Look at the people who Jesus hung out with. God often lifts up those we put down. And so here's the reality. If you're in this room and you're like, I'm that outcast. I'm the one who's been rejected. I'm the one who's lived that life of hurt. Here's what you need to understand. That's not how God sees you. That's not how God sees you. And if you understand that, if you're not the outcast, here's the deal. You better not be putting down the one who God wants to lift up. Our hearts better match his. Our hearts better match the love that God has shown to us. The next thing, when we look at Jephthah being chosen, the amazing thing is that Jephthah didn't apply for this position. He didn't go out and say, you know, I'm going to send my resume and see what happens. They pursued him. They came to Jephthah. Jephthah's life was changed because he was pursued. Here's reality. We can follow because God pursued. We can follow because God pursued. If you're running from God, you need to understand something. God is pursuing you relentlessly. And if you already understand that, then here's the other deal. Who are you pursuing? Who are you pursuing with God's love? Who are you pursuing with the truth of who Jesus is, with the gospel? Our hearts are to match God's heart. Let's pursue And as we see Jephthah in his manipulative vow, we need to understand this. God doesn't want our deals. He wants us. God doesn't want our deals. He wants us. So if you're sitting there and you're kind of like, all right, God, here's, if you do this, and then I'll do this. Or, and, and, you know, sometimes we kind of don't do that. We kind of just do it like, okay, here's the deal. I'm going to make sure I'm good enough for God. I'm going to make sure that I look the right part. I dress the right part. I say the right things. I'm going to do this deal because then, God, you're going to owe me and we'll have that transaction done and we're good to go. God doesn't want your negotiation. He doesn't want your deal. He wants you and only you. Stop negotiating with God and start surrendering. Because the reality is that we can't negotiate with God. We have nothing to bring to the table, no collateral that can satisfy our debt. We have nothing at all that we can bring to the table. We are in a crushing debt that we can't satisfy. And the reality is, is that our debt had a cost, and the cost was everything. So God gave everything. The cost was everything, so God gave everything. He gave his only son to satisfy the debt that we could not pay. 
So if you're sitting there and you're just not sure of all this and you're kind of just trying to figure that out, here's the reality. God thought you were worthy enough, that he loved you enough to give everything for you. He gave it all. If you know that truth, then here's the reality. We better be a church that's willing to give everything. We better be a church that mirrors the one who pursued us, that mirrors the cost that was paid for us. There are people who need to hear the good news of the gospel. There are people who need to hear the good news of Jesus. There are people who God is calling to himself that we need to do everything and anything to reach them with that good news. And so the cost is high. We better be willing to pay it. Whether it's our preferences, whether it's our own comfort, whatever it is, let's be the church that recognizes that God gave everything for us. Let's give everything back in return. Let's be that church. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your love and your goodness and that you loved us even when we were outcasts, while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. That you gave everything to satisfy our debt. That you relentlessly pursued us. Lord, for those in this room that need to know that, make it real. Open up our eyes, open up our hearts, make it real today. And for those of us who that's real already in our hearts, give us this burning desire to make it real for others. Give us this burning desire to do everything and anything, to bring the good news, to bring the gospel to those who need to hear it. But don't let us be content with being comfortable. Help us to give it all so that others will know Jesus. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.